Welcome to another episode of the Being Human and Doing Psychotherapy podcast, where I'm trying to parse out what are all the humans that are behind the psychotherapeutic role and what is it the psychotherapeutic part in all of us. And tonight I'm joined uh, by a wonderful and curious lady, Patricia Zuritaonia. Uh, and I'm curious actually uh, where this conversation is going to take us because uh, she works with overachievers, overthinkers, and helps them to get unstuck from fear-based struggles and ineffective playing it safe actions so they can do what works, what matters, and what they care about. Mm. So let's just jump right in it. Hello and welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. So I always start this podcast uh, a bit with your story. So um, what are some words that you identify yourself with? Um, some words that I identify myself with uh, or some struggles I identify myself with. <laughs> it can be both. Well, I think... If I have to choose some words that I identify myself with today, I would say um, um, vibraciousness, maybe. <laughs> That's one word, vibraciousness. Um, I think humbleness. I think that's important to me. It's something that it really speaks to my heart. Um, and in terms of, I think, maybe some of the struggles that I relate to, definitely being an overachiever, having promised to do things right and perfectly. Um, yeah, I think those will be the words I related today in this moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what is the overachiever? Where has that brought you? Where has that overachieving brought you? Because I, I really relate um, a lot with that. And actually, as I was thinking, how will I think, talk about this podcast? Actually, I had something that happened just this morning that I mm -hmm. had a recapitulation of a year with a friend of mine that I'm working on the voice with. And she asked me, tell me, how do you think you did well? Give me your critical voice and give me your friendly voice. And the critical voice was, you're never going to get this. You're not going to sing the way you want. You're not going to get on stage. You're not all these things. Uh, and, and I almost couldn't find the friendly voice. Mm. And then I, we started to talk about what is the difference between being analytical and giving constructive criticism as critique, mm. not criticism. And where is the critique in us? And so how do you think about these things? Such a, such a great moment. Um, I think the way that I distinguish this, um, this the voice that is helpful to us, the voice that is it's giving us some advice and is telling us what we can do differently, what we have learned from a situation, uh, what could have, we have been avoid. I think in general, um, captures learning of an experience, mm. and then the voice that is a tough voice. Um, it kind of repeats the same content, right? There is repetition, 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 and there is nothing new that we're learning. So I think sometimes we we confuse self-reflection with self-punishment. 
because we think that of course when something goes wrong when when sometimes we say the wrong thing at the wrong time there is a part of us that wants to learn from our mistakes from our struggles and we ponder could i have done something differently could i have said something differently so that's self-reflection right that's a part of us that wants to give us some advice but then if i spend hours and hours but I could have said yes. Why didn't I? Why was I thinking? I really could have said this again. Uh, what's wrong with me? What what really happened to me? Am I an idiot? Am I so stupid that I couldn't see? What's wrong with me? That is more like the tough voice, right? The inner critic that may show up. So self-reflection is different than self-punishment because self-reflection, you learn. You identify what you could have done differently and you move on. Self-punishment, you keep torturing yourself over and over and over, right? So I think that that is a distinction, right? The self-unity voice usually is very repetitive. There is no new learning. Actually, there is more criticism, right? And just very tough feedback that is giving you. So that that would be one difference. Mm-hmm. And in in your journey, how did you work with the punitive voice and what helped you to um to kind of tame it if that's the word Mm -hmm. that's such a that's such a great question and it's a very profound one (laughs) (laughs) you know i think when i think about overachievers and overthinkers behind all those efforts to do things right and perfectly behind all the hustling and hustling behind all that working hard and being a go-getter and a doer, there is also this feeling that we're never good enough. That no matter what we do, it's not enough and we could have done better. It's like you have one accomplishment and you you don't even enjoy, you don't even celebrate yourself and you're already thinking the next, right? And the next, because we're chasing something. Um, so I think in my life at different times, I certainly have experienced that. Um, I came to the States in 2001, if I recall correctly, and I'm immigrant, I'm a woman, I have an accent. I am also coming from a working class family. So for me, working hard and hard and pushing and pushing is the norm, not the exception, right? Like I was raised to do that. And it was with time that I had to learn to relate to that, that urge to do more and more in a different way, in a more skillful way. In my case, using acceptance and commitment skills. Um, so I think what happens is that for all doers, overachievers and overthinkers is that behind all that, we have to ask ourselves, what are we really chasing? What are we really chasing? What's behind all this doing mode, right? Because sometimes we are doing things to protect ourselves from feeling like a failure, from feeling that we're not good enough. Sometimes we're doing things because we're chasing an outcome that we don't have control of. Because no matter how hard we work on things, we don't know how the outcome is going to be. Sometimes we're also chasing approval from others because we want to be seen in a particular way. Um, in my case, at some point, I remember I wanted to be seen by the academicians, right? I wanted to be yeah. seen. The idea of being seen was very important to me. Um, so I will do things to make sure they see my work. Um, so I think there, there is that. I will encourage people to ask themselves, what am I really chasing, right? What's behind all this doing? Am I trying to protect myself from feeling not good enough? Um, and in terms of how to deal with that, One of the things that we know 
these days with current behavioral science yeah. is that making room, opening up, making a space for all the negative stories that we have is a very courageous and a skillful move to make in our life versus trying to suppress it, judge it ourselves, or replace it. So in the past, if we think about this, maybe 30, 40 years ago, if I had a thought that says, I am not a good coach, I am not a good therapist, then at that time, pop psychology will have tell me every time you have the thought, you have to think about something positive about you. So yeah, speaking of the non-good enoughness, uh, mm-hmm. how do you actually then manage that instead of going into the pop psychology, think a good thought? <laughs> what is the answer to uh, I'm not a good therapist or I'm not a good coach. I'm not doing this really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, for me, everything shifted when I started using acceptance and commitment skills. And I encourage people to try these skills uh, and see how they work for them. Uh, but one of the things that we have learned is that if you try to replace the story, if you try to suppress the story, if you try to ignore the story, or if you fight the story, it actually gets bigger, right? Um, because to be human is to have self-doubt. To be human is have moments in which we second guess ourselves. To be human, it is it is having moments in which we feel that we're not good enough. However, what is important to remember is that having a thought doesn't mean that we have to be a puppet of a thought. Having a story that says that we're not good enough doesn't mean that we have to take action based on the story. Having the thought that says that I'm not a good coach, I'm not a good therapist, doesn't mean that I have to hold that as the absolute truth and a whole representation of who I am as a whole human being. Having a story that says I'm not good enough, I'm not a good partner, I'm, I am a lazy person, I'm not smart enough, it's all about to manage it skillfully by making room for it, opening up, noticing when the story shows up. Uh, we know when our stories get activated, get triggered. And if you're willing to be playful, you can even name your story. You can say things like, here comes the not good enough story. Here comes that I am a lazy person story. Because at the end of the day, within acceptance and commitment therapy, we teach you six core psychological processes. One of them is called diffusion. That is all about creating a space between who you are and your thoughts. A space in which you can look and observe your thoughts as things, letters, words, and images put together, not as a reflections of your character, but as something the mind will always will be doing. So given that, that we don't have control of our mind, we can choose how to respond to the noise that the mind comes up with. So when I am naming the story, when I'm noticing and naming the story, I am creating a little bit of a space. I don't have to, if my mind tells me, Patricia, you suck in this interview. You know, you know, maybe Alexandra, you know, thinks that you don't know, you know what you're talking about. Maybe she thinks that what type of coach is she? One way to handle the story will be to make sure, yeah, Alexandra, you know, and am I doing okay, Alexandra? Is this okay? I will be checking with you, right? Mm. But but the other option, if I'm using acceptance skills and diffusion skills, is, is noticing that the stories in the back of my mind 
and they're given the name softly inside my head and see here comes another good enough story. And then checking that in this moment, in this conversation, it is important for me to be present with you. It is important for me to focus on what you're saying and do the best I can to, to teach some of these active skills. Um, so notice how having the story that my mind comes up with doesn't have to be a dictator of my behaviors. I can have the story and I can choose how to respond to it based on my values. Now, I know that saying this may sound very simplistic. I know it's not easy, but what is important here is to remember that every time you know this and you name the story, if you're willing to be playful, you can give it all types of names. You are giving yourself the freedom to choose how to respond to all the insight knowledge that we have. And that's how our lives get joyful and richful. Because when we take those stories, the not good enough stories as the absolute truth, we do all types of things. We avoid, we over-prepare, we under-deliver, we never try something new because it may prove the story truth, right? Versus when you learn to make room for that story, you don't have to deny it, you don't have to like it, but you can simply say to yourself, here comes my story, the laziest story. Here comes my not so good enough story. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. And then you can ask yourself, what's truly important to me in this moment? What truly matters right now? And do your best to take action based on what is important to you. The story may be in the background, but we're not feeding into the story by dwelling on it, by judging, by wondering why the story is here. In fact, every time we do something we care about, of course we should respect our not good enough stories showing up, right? Because that's what the mind does, right? Of course, you know, every time we care about something, the mind will come with noise. It wouldn't be, you know, it, the mind wouldn't be doing its job if it doesn't come up with a lot of thinking and thinking, minding and minding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the therapists I, I really like, she said, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's a classic one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you may have heard there is this experiment from, I think, um, Wagner, the classic Wagner experiment from years ago in which he asked participants in the research to not think of a white elephant, <laughs> uh, right? So then what happens, right? You automatically, automatically think about it, right? So those were the experiments that were showing how fat suppression might be quite limited, right? And think about this every time, if I'm walking on the streets or if you are preparing a research project or you are in a session with a client and your mom pops up, you are not good enough. You start arguing back in your head. It's like you are playing like a mental game in your mind because it's a mal you kind of win with our mind. Our mind has thousands of thoughts a day, thousands of thoughts. Right. So it's impossible that, you know, we we're going to win the mind. Right. It actually take us much more effort to argue back with our mind. But choosing how we want to respond to the stories, that's what we have control of. And uh, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned uh, being an immigrant, being a woman, and all of those are your identities. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what are the stories that came with those identities that you needed to recognize as not yours, really? Mm -hmm. That's such a profound question. Um, well... I think that that took me a while, actually, because, you know, I'm also, you know, working class kid, right? I think when you're a working class family, 
in South America, where I'm coming from, you know that you have to work hard and hard because working hard, you know, will 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 pay back later on, right? It has benefits. Um, so I grew up with that. Um, and, you know, it has worked in my life in, in many incredible ways. A number of times it hasn't. Uh, but at some point, what was going on is that as I was building my career, and this is years ago, um, my passion was always in in anxiety-based struggles, some fear-based struggles, right? That's where I have you know, my niche, my expertise. I think I think dealing skillfully with fear is the skill of the 21st century. I think in the information era, our fears not traveling isolation, but they travel in clusters. I think to be human is to be afraid. And if we don't manage fear or anxiety skillfully, it completely narrows our lives. Um, and it takes us farther away from who we want to be. Um, so my passion has been always there. Um, but but when I was um, you know, trying to do things professionally, I would quickly be boxed in all types of things. Uh, because I'm immigrant, there is this expectation that she'll only work with immigrants. Um, or or because I am Latino, that I should have that expertise. Um, and I think of culture in a much more broader way, right? Um, so it was, it was, I think, a tricky part, right? Because many things were coming my way as long as I will do things that people will want me to do. So I have to, you know, say it, it's, it was hard also because, of course, that you know, I was this, I scared of, of judgment, right, by my own community, right? Like, how come she doesn't want to work with Latino people, right? And it's not that I didn't want it. I just didn't want to be boxed, right? I think it's, it's just, you know, when you when you have an accent, when you walk into a room, your accent is the first thing people will, will pick up, right? And people have all types of projections. You are this, you are that. And, and it's hard to feel seen beyond that projection at times, right? We know when people get us. We know when people are just keeping things here. Like, no matter who we are, like, I'm actually, like, what's representation of the Latino crowd, right? Like, I, I my eating habits, my exercising habits are very different. In some way, many parts of me are very Latino. Others are just different. Um but in that process, I think career-wise, I was working super hard to be seen in an environment that was very hierarchical, an environment in which it was also quite clicky, right? You have to be to be in the group, right? You have to be this exclusive part. Um, and I was working really hard because I wanted this crowd to acknowledge my work. And I keep getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Or I keep getting, you know, if you want to in, you have to do this, right? So it was very conditional. It wasn't actually very open. And I remember that one time I I was very vocal about how I think that there is a structure of power, right? That it's not the, the certain positions or openings are not given because of merits or qualifications, but because of clickiness. So as you can imagine, that didn't land well, right? <laughs> that didn't land well at all. Uh, but I still got rejected. I still, you know, and it was, it was you know, it, this is on the path. This is like maybe 15 years ago, right? Um, but it was the time when actually it hurt so badly. It hurt, I was like so disappointed that no matter how many books I published, no matter how successful was my career, no matter how research papers I have done, I wasn't given the space. 
And I was just, how is it possible? And I was so hurt. And of course, using act skills, I asked myself over and over, what really hurts here? What really hurts here? What, why is it hurting me so much, right? And then I, then I asked myself, what's behind my head? What's my value? Right, it hurt me so much in direction, but why? What what's the part that really is affected here? And if we think about your heart as one side of the coin, then the question is on the other side, what's the value? What's the thing that I care about that I am suffering because of that? And then I realized that my value is definitely to disseminate act skills because I think they can be very transformative in our own growth, in our own development as human beings. And that I exclusively want to teach act skills for people struggling with overthinking or anxiety problems. So that, that was very crystal clear. And then from then I realized if that's the value, what else can you do that is not trying to prove yourself to a crowd that doesn't have a space for you, right? To, to, and, and then I, I started doing my newsletter, my own resources, my own webinars. And what I can tell you, this is, I don't know, 14, 15 years later, is that it was painful, yes, to, to experience that rejection, but also to know this that I was trapped with the story, right? Uh, but it was it has been so liberating, so liberating to start actually focus more on the value, doing what is under my control. It has been much more revitalizing, right? And then little by little, what has happened is that incredible sweet opportunities came my way. Um, many connections like this one start happening, right? I became perhaps more bold into approaching certain things, right? And I realized that, um, that when we learn to check what we're really chasing, when we learn to really unpack what's the value behind our hurts and our fears, and then when we could choose actions based on what matters, life gets richer. Like to me, it was one of those moments in which I haven't tried ever again. I haven't, I haven't done anything, you know, with agenda. I want these people to be seen. I want them to give the space. These days, if they give me the space, cool. If no, fine, right? Like I think, but but it doesn't, I am, it's different. It has, it has really psychologically given much more freedom and much more energy to do things that are important. Um, so I think that that's what I learned for me to navigate the story, right? That my behavior with the story was really trying to prove myself to a crowd that wasn't interested in me. They were doing lip service. They didn't have the space. Um, and that, 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 that didn't change then, right? But, but if I have continued pursuing and proving myself, then I will have become a cranky woman, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's interesting uh, because as you were speaking, I thought like, by contacting me you've given yourself the space as well and I thought that was a wonderful thing because it is so important to say this is what I care about would you want to talk about that uh, because often there are people who will do that there are people who are interested in our stories uh, and it's just about also us being able to reach out and say I really care about this this is my value do you share it and be okay with also accepting that rejection of people. Well, I don't share it, but you know, I might know someone who does, or I might not, then you try another door. But I guess it's not something we are conditioned to do because uh, we are born into systems, which we need, which we think we need to fit in and fall into, I guess. Yeah. yeah and yes, I that's beautiful. 
said, yes. And I think you met, you mentioned power, and I, I wonder how did your uh, relation to power change since you took your power back? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I think um, it certainly has made me much more aware about what interaction with our inner world and, and the context in which we live in, right? I think definitely um, there is some some structures of power that we are all part of. Um, I think what I can say is that acting more in what is really important to me and my values has given in some way power to do what really revitalizes and engages me, right? And and also has made me, you know, much more forgiven of myself, right? Um, I you know I think you know I keep you know. <laughs> It's a little funny, but every time I do some outreach or I submit a proposal for this and that, I keep a file of what is acceptable, what's not. The number of rejections keeps growing, right? 200, 300, right? Because that's that's the game, right? Uh, but when I look at that, right, what comes is the sense of, sense of always asking, is it worth it to ask again? Is it worth it to move on? And we have to give ourselves permission to move on. Sometimes pursuing is the right thing to do. Sometimes letting things go is also the right thing to do. We have to learn to distinguish that. And I think that in some way gives us the power to be our authentic selves, not the ideal self that we would like to be or to live this ideal life, but to really make room for who we are in the context of where we're living. And, and that can be so refreshing, so refreshing and so engaging and revitalizing that uh, that it really keeps us going, right? It's a different, it's like the quality is very different. And I'm I'm curious also about the woman role and womanhood mm. and being in hierarchical structures and what has how did you get in touch with that part how did you, uh, if you have somehow reframed what it means for you to be a woman beyond the stories that are given to you especially I think in a what I imagine to be a very patriarchal society where you're coming from, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, it's such a, that's such a juicy, juicy question. I think we can go hours talking about it. So we'll try to give you like an abbreviated response here. Um, I think um, it's a very, very rich question. You know, I think um, it is impossible not to be a woman without carrying a story, right? It's impossible to be a woman without carrying a story of, of, of how women have been conditioning, how women have been socialized, what is expected from a woman. Um, I think it's impossible, and we will be blind if we don't acknowledge that shaping has happened, whether we see it or not, right? Um, and at the same time, I think for me, for me, understanding more my 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 role as a woman perhaps has happened definitely more on the states than in South America. Um, when I came to the state, the experience of being the other, right? To be the, to have the otherness that has been very, very, very clear. Like I never knew I was a person of color in Bolivia, right? Like never thought I was a person of color. <laughs> never, I would say that. I never, I never had um, a green card that I say or a passport that said I was an alien, right? Like all that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. So I was like, what is this, right? 
Um, but also the harvest experience has been certainly within academia that is at that time, very, very male structure, very male dominant, very male organized and trying to fit in those, those roles. It's, it's not easy, it's absolutely not easy. So I have a lot of respect for women in academia. Times have changed yet, but we're dealing with a very, I think, old institution of hierarchy. Um, so I think for me, it was on those contexts that I realized that the question was, how can I be authentic to myself? How can I um, keep the feminine aspects of who I am while I also do what is skillful and assertive in a context that is very male dominant? Uh, and one of the things that happens is that there's one time I remember I was um, in a training clinic and I had a meeting with like five guys, type A personalities, very dominant, very, very out there, right? Um, and I remember that as, as they were talking, I realized that the only way to be listened to is to just be as assertive as they were and as loud as they were. So... So I wasn't shy about that, right? Because I knew that if I will go, it's a tricky situation. I wasn't betraying myself, but to be here, you have to do what is a skillful without losing yourself, right? I think by nature, I'm very direct and very straightforward, but I remember that meeting on serving the dynamics. And then I realized that for me to ask for what I needed and to get things out, I needed to be very, you know, very clear and very consistent and very loud at times and to not be shy about that, to not be shy about asking, to know, to not be second guessing or to not be over apologetic. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to bother you. Right. Uh, no, I think I think I learned in a very unique way that you can. Be authentic with your feminine side, with a side of your behaviors about, you know, consistent with being a woman. And you also can be a skillful to operate on the environment you are. Right. I think I think that is to me that was very important, right? Um we adapt. Right. If I will have been over apologetic, um, asking the things or be like, you know, I don't mean to bother you. Right. That would I don't think that will have go anywhere. Right. Not ideal. Right. But I think we have to let to just stay authentic to ourselves while also being assertive to what the context requires from us. Um, so I think that 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 was that was interesting. And and these days, uh, you know, as many things have happened in terms of women's rights and access for women into different social spheres, I feel very I think grateful that we're living a time in which the narrative's changing. I cannot imagine being a woman, like, you know, trying to work 60, 70 years ago. I just, you know, when I read the stories, when we watch movies, it's quite shocking. So I think that as perhaps things are changing at a slow pace, but I'm grateful they are changing and that we are part of that, that we are part of changing a narrative that these days, I think there is a space. And I remember Meghan Markle, she gave a speech a couple of years ago. And 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 I quoted this in one of my, my blog articles because it was very moving. She said, women need to be invited to the dinner table. And if they don't get invited, they need to set up their own dinner table. Uh, and to me, that that quote in some way reflects, you know, what many of us, including you and myself and many other women are doing. We're creating the new, right, for, for ourselves based on what is important to us. So I think that in that sense, that is being authentic to ourselves and to who we are, what holding all the pieces of what means to be a woman and is still doing what is skillful in a given context. 
It's interesting because I am a woman in academia, very aware of what is yeah. happening, and yeah. uh, and it, it is it is definitely a really challenging skill to learn how to authentically, humanely express my vulnerability, and also bring the assertiveness necessary for that vulnerability not to be damaged and unseen. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is it is a very 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 challenging and uh and and it's, and and I feel, although I I I know it's changing at a very slow pace, I think this painting says a lot about how I feel <laughs> at times. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, I'm... which is that there is still times where I feel deeply enraged that that actually even had to be the case. <laughs> Uh, but I do agree that it is important to then notice what our values is, are and work around with people who share those values and not constantly go towards people who obviously don't. Yeah, if I, if I can respond a little bit, you know, I, I hear you, I can see the painting, you know, it has this very strong red, right? And I, I relate to your painting, the moments of rage of the unfairness, you know, I, yes. I yeah. I, the unfairness that you know again i think my experience it is not a system of meritocracy of merits and qualification it's a system of clickness mm-hmm. and and that will still get me and i can go hours ruminating yes i think i think we still have moments like that but the moments like that i think what is important for people listening to us is to really acknowledge that we feel what we feel it doesn't make us bad people it doesn't make us angry women it doesn't make us angry we feel what we feel there is no need to judge ourselves right what is important sometimes is just openly acknowledge this is what i'm feeling i am sensing this in my body this is how much it hurts make room for that pain without suppressing deny it without judging ourselves um and then really once again ask ourselves why does it hurt what's behind this what's the value Right? What what's the value behind this pain, and what can I do about it that is under my control? Because I think that in life there are going to be many more moments for all of us, many many more moments in which we are going to witness unfair situations when things are going to happen at us, um, and and I think it's easy, easy at times to judge ourselves because we don't want to be these angry women, right? We don't want to be seen as that. Then we judge ourselves, right? Uh, the reality is that if we judge ourselves for what we feel, we're adding more pain. So within act, right, that it's a very, it's, I think there's this beautiful skill of acceptance, of making room, opening up to the feeling without judging, without denying, but we're really full curiosity, how, how it shows up in your body. What is the feeling telling you to do? What is the action urge that is coming? What do you know? This is it moving. You can even imagine the feeling as something that has a color, a texture, a temperature. Um, and then and then you always want to ask, what is the action urge? What is the action this feeling wants me to take? And instead of acting on it quickly, you may want to ask, if I do what the feeling tells me to do, Will that help me to be who I want to be in this moment or does it take me farther away, right? All those things, you know, really lead us to be psychologically flexible in the time that we're living and in the context that we get exposed to. And how do you 
make that space in between to actually check in with what is it that I'm feeling and how do you get to that value? It's something that I'm sitting with and and I'm and I'm trying to understand what is it what is it that gets me so much? What is it that I think is so wrong here and that is kind of you said unfair, painful. And and I am also sitting with a question of really that. What is it that I would love to communicate back? Uh, but it's somehow not coming. And I'm wondering how is it that what's your process and how did acts or or other skills that you've learned as a therapist helps you to do that? Mm-hmm. That's that's a great question. I can tell you one of the things that happens with with um with frustration or with anger or disappointment is that sometimes our minds, our minds as a content generating machines, our minds as dynamic entities, we know that they have a life in their own. And our mind sometimes going to overthinking mode about the past, the future, past failures, or doubting things or second guessing things. But our minds also come up with rules. Uh, in act, we talk about ruling thoughts. Um, there are different types of rules that our mind holds on to. And rules are like the classic oath, shoot, must, always, never. But they're also more, you know, sometimes our preferences, you may say about their preference, but we relate to them as rules because a preference has been broken. So sometimes we get disappointed, we get hurt because one of our rules, one of our expectations has been broken. Someone has treated that in a way that we didn't want to be treated and that's wrong. They shouldn't do that, right? So sometimes it's that that we have to check. Is there, is there like a ruling thought here that makes me disappointed? That will be one way because sometimes we get stuck in how things are supposed to be according to our mind, not how things are. Very human, very human. I have many moments like that. Why do you have two types of fonts on the document? Everyone should check that. Don't send me that. It hurts my eyes, right? Um, so sometimes our mind gets hooked onto rules and we get very disappointed because people break our rules, our standards, uh, in the case of perfectionism of overachievers, right? Um, but the other aspect is that to tap into our values, sometimes you're right, it's hard to tap into that because there is you know, a lot of noise, inside noise, right? Sometimes it's helpful to do other types of values exploration exercises, like you may want to ask yourself, if I only have 24 hours to live tomorrow, that's all what I have. For things that happen in life, I only have 24 hours. How will I spend my time? What will I be doing? And what's so special about that activity? What's so special about hanging out with that friend who I significant other? How do I want to show up to them? How do I want to be remembered by them? Um, so that's one values exercise. You may also want to imagine that people are celebrating your 80th birthday and you have your best friends, your significant others, your relatives. And each one of them is given a speech, like a speech about what you stand up for on life, what matter to you. And, and then and then you check, okay, my best friend may say, I would like my best friend to say this. I would like my partner to say this. I would like my co-worker to say this. That also helps you to get in touch with your values. And then you may want to ask yourself, am I living those values or not? And is this health, is this health in some way connected to any of these values? So that, that would be the other thing. Um, in the moment, there's another values exploration exercise, and there are many of them. These are just two that I can share right now. Um, there's another, what I can say also, in the moment of hurt, right, when we ask ourselves, 
What's really hard about this? Is my mind holding to a ruling thought? What really, really hurts? What, 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 what was so important for me about getting a yes about this activity? What was so important for me about um, getting yes to this research design? What was so important for me to get yes for this budget, right? Why did I care about that so much? And then you may want to tap in your values. Um, I think I, I relate what you're saying that I know sometimes I have to ask myself, you know, multiple times I have journal, journal about, you know, what really hurts about this? Because I couldn't understand my pain, right? I think um, I, I have to journal every trying to see what, what really hurts, right? What, what hurts so much about being told no? So that could be one way. And, and you know, these other values-based exploration exercises too, they give you a perspective, right? Because sometimes we get trapped into the mind, right? Really thinking about if I only have 24 hours, if people that love me, I celebrate on the 80th birthday. Um, or sometimes, you know, another values-based exercise is imagine that that you're writing your own, um, that your own epitaph you know, for your tombstone, right? And here lies Patricia. She was very busy getting cranky and cranky at everything, right? <laughs> so then I will want to think about, okay, how, what will I like to write? Well, if I think about my tombstone, what will I write? And then you can even write on the paper. Here lies can you, Patricia. Can you, write, can you write, uh, can, you, can you reply to that for yourself? What is it that you would like? To yeah. Today, today I will say today. that that she she commit her life to to spread act skills to the world you know, that became her life mission. Um, that she also was trying to live with curiosity for anything that came her way. That she was curious to try new things, to connect with new people. Um, that she was, that she showed to the ones that she loved constant caring. Her love and her caring, it wasn't based on the feelings or the moods or the thoughts. Like she showed to others with constant love. I mean, those, those are the three things. I think over the years, right, my, my, my eulogy has been shrinking. I think today is just these three things, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. In the past, I have tortured myself wondering if whether I have contributed or not to disseminate that skills, right? It was like really a big thought in my head, like, you know, that she really disseminated. These days, I give myself permission to know that I did my best. I did my best. I continue doing my best, but but that is not something that, that you know, consumes me right now. So my eulogy is shrinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about you, if I can ask, what will be yours? Yeah, I was thinking, uh, I guess uh, what came that is she lived courageously, curiously, and lovingly. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. You see, if I can add to that, um, sometimes like, one of the things that also has come to me within ACT, and I have been trying this the last maybe three, four years, I do a life audit. I do a values-based audit in my life. It's in my calendar every three months, right? There is just like two hours I block to check how am I really living my life? Because so much happens to us, you know, we don't think about this every single day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that is something I encourage people to do that. And I can send you a link of a template that I use. It's all values-based, in which really we're looking at what is a value, what are your values, you reflect on them, and then what are the blocks? 
And then the last part is like, what are you willing to think or feel and still take action? So you prepare yourself for the next three months. But the thing, this whole idea of doing life audits or values-based you know, reviews, every three months keep us on check. And the other thing that I do, um, I cannot, you know, I don't think I will be able to show you, but on the left side in my home office, I do have a whiteboard. And in the bottom of the whiteboard, I have three areas of my life that are very important. I have relationships, career, and personal growth. And every, at the end of every week, there is a little line next to it. One end of the line is very close and the other one is very far away. And then I put an X. So at the end of at the end of every week, I check, okay, was I close? Was I far away? So doing this check, this is very simple, right? So it's not something that takes me more than 10 minutes, right? It's literally just three lines and the little names of the areas in my life. And I just put a little mark where it corresponds. Sometimes I'm close in some areas, sometimes I'm far. But I fundamentally believe in creating moments to creating moments of reset especially when you're a doer, right? Rest, it helps us to do things more consistently and creating these micro forms in which we are checking really how we're living life, right? Um, we check all types of things in life. So what about checking how close we're being to be who we want to be in the areas that matter? Mm. And so just to respect your time, uh, I want to ask you, is there um, something that... I haven't asked, but you feel like a burning desire to say uh, that is close to your values because we spoke a lot about that. Um, yeah, well, thank you for asking. I was thinking, um, let me think. Um, yeah, yeah, just one, one tiny, tiny micro skill here that I, I, I encountered a lot in the work and I certainly in my life. I. You know, for people listening to us who are prone to do things right and perfectly, and they may go into perfectionistic behaviors or procrastinating behaviors, um, I encourage them to listen to the first part of our conversation. We talk about more acceptance, how we can make room for these stories, how we can notice and name those stories. But also one very common area of sadness is decision making. And the micro skill I encourage people to try is asking them when they have to make a decision, they're dwelling on it asking themselves whether they have to satisfy the decision or maximize the decision. Maximize is try to make the best decision all the time, whether you're going to buy socks, a coffee machine, a laptop, it has to be the best. You spend hours researching for information, right? You need to know every single thing out there. Satisfies is make a decision with what is enough and they know that they will figure out if something goes up in life. A lot of things required that we satisfy some decisions and we maximize few of them. So if people feel stuck making a decision, check what your decision is style. Are you trying to maximize the decision or satisfy? So that, that would be, because I think that's really, really hard. We think that it's just like a tiny thing, but people really get stuck making choices, not just about big things, but you know, day-to-day -day life stuff. So that would be my last thing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh... I, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions. One of them is what is an absurd thing about you that not many people know about? <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought that there were people living inside the radio. So we'll spread hours thinking, come on, little people, come on, come on, come on. 
<laughs> and then when the ATM machines, you know, came alive, right? I thought that it was an old man that was giving money to people, right? So I used to walk by the ATM machine. It's like, oh, my goodness, I wonder if he takes breaks, right? I wonder if he celebrates holidays, right? Hi, Ma. I was just Ma, Mom, you know, we have to bring food for this person. You know, this person's working so much, right? Living in there, there was technology behind <laughs> that person there. <laughs> nice. I, lo I love the answers to these questions. Um, and the, and the, what do you think has become more and what has become less important to you with age? Mm, that's a beautiful question. I think being loving and caring has always been important in my life. I'm much more now that I'm aging, much, much more. I think we have a limited amount of time on this earth. And I, and I want to live it loving, loving and learning to love and preparing myself to love as much as I can. And what has become less is the struggle of forcing things that are just not meant to be. I think I am, you know, I believe some things, they, they happen organically. I I think I have been getting perhaps more skillful to distinguish when pursuing is the right thing to do, when letting it go is also the right thing to do. I don't think I knew a difference that 20 years ago. So I think that has been, yeah, it's it's important, but it's really, I'm not just doing things for the sake of doing right now. So mm -hmm. let's understand. Mm -hmm. So you have come more to the being side rather than the doing one. I think that's a beautiful way of saying, yes, yes. But we're big into the being side. Absolutely. Yes. Very, very big into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the last one is, is there anything you want to ask me? <laughs> yes. Well, I actually have many, many curiosities. What I would be curious, Alexandra, is today, as we're having this conversation, what moves you? What keeps your life? What's the thing that today is just really important to your heart? I don't know. Like people's stories. I mm. love listening to people's stories. I love listening to people's stories. I think I could sit for hours just listening. Um, and I think that's that's really that really moves me, that touches me, that fuels me. Um, I think it's so important to go away from the averages that science is ha is doing and really deeply listen to people's stories. Beautiful. Well, I have to say that I think you have the gift to do that. <laughs> oh, thank you yeah very I'll nice take that i'll take that okay so thank you so much for taking the time uh thank you so much for the contact um i really enjoyed to be to be heard as well and seen and i felt you have you have done that by by contacting me and thank you for really being willing to share all the skills you have <laughs> You are very kind. Thank you so much for making the space, um, especially today. I'm very, very grateful. And I'm very, very much looking forward to staying connected. There may be a next track. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>